verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Word of God for the people of God. I wonder this morning, is grace still amazing to you? Is grace something that sinks into your heart and and at points you cannot even you cannot even begin to to deal with how overwhelming, how comprehensive, how glorious it is, or has it in any way become just a word? Just something we talk about, the grace of God. We sing amazing grace, and interestingly enough, I've noted a lot of times amazing grace when it's sung is one of the most mumbled songs. I don't know if people are tired of it. They've heard it so much. But are you still captivated by the grace of God? What it takes for you to be made His children. Paul wants to do that this morning. He wants to reintroduce us to grace. Because we come to our text and it sort of catches us off guard. If you were just reading chapter 1 and you, you come to this, he's talked about the calling that we have, this glorious calling, and it's in and by the power of Christ. And he talks about this resurrection power and Christ is the head of the body and in Him God has given all the fullness of Him who fills all in all and you were dead. And if, if you're not thinking about this book in the way that we've been thinking about it, you might get 
sucked in only to a nice doctrinal treatise here, but Paul doesn't want us to have any part of that. He wants us to get a taste again of grace. He's reminded us of the calling of God, and that's what he's doing here. He's setting before us in depth the calling of God to us that He might then remind us that God doesn't just call us and then that's it. He has a purpose for us that we might walk worthy. We said that from chapter 4, but it's here at the end of of our text in verse 10. He's, He's not forgetting that. He's getting you ready for that. And so then... He is getting us prepped. He's wanting us to be pushed back into an understanding of the calling of grace in us. He's going to do that in three ways this morning. He's going to show us our estate. Verses 1-3, through our estate. It's pretty pretty easily seen. Then He's going to show us God's calling. Verses 4-9, through God's calling. And then our purpose. Verse 10. Our estate, God's calling, our purpose. What is the estate out of which God has called us? From which He has rescued us, has delivered us, has taken us from our union with Adam and with, well, the seed of the serpent and united us to Christ. What was that estate? And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the presence of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul doesn't pull any punches, does he? When he's wanting to remind us of what God has done, he, he, he wipes away any sugarcoating. There's no veneer. He comes in hard. You were dead. He doesn't give us over to flattery. Dead. In what way were we dead? Well, he tells us three things. In three ways we were dead. We walked according to the course of the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air. And we lived in the passions of the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the course of life for those who are dead in trespasses and sin. So, where do we begin? Well, where we walked. Following the course of this world. Paul wants us to understand that left to ourselves, the way that we were heading was just following along with those who were under condemnation. He says we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were following a wrathful course. Let me illustrate it a little bit more. You you may not know it, but I am such a good backpacker and hiker that at one point in life I earned the Three Blind Mice Backpacking Award. Because in the same week, I got lost three or four times with a group. And so I earned this award wholeheartedly. I can tell you how it happened. I wasn't actually the navigator. I was the grunt. 
All I was doing was carrying the, the gear for repelling and stuff like that. And, and there was another couple of people who were the navigator, but we all had access to the map and we would wake up in the morning and we were like, oh, we've got a group to meet. We've got to get started. And we would just see the people going like, that must be the way. And so one day we got started on that way and we kept going on that way and we never met the people that we were supposed to meet. But obviously this was the right way because everyone else was going this way. And it took someone from the group we were supposed to meet laying aside his pack and coming after us. So he had a nice fun day. But we had gone six or seven miles out of the way. We had to make that up. And we had to go another 12 miles. Think of it, it's a walk from here to Pineville, right? And we had to do that because of how we got lost. But we had no idea. That was our estate. We were just following, well, the rest of the crowd. Seemed like a right path. Seemed like an okay way. And Paul says, you were following the course of the world. The course of this world is always in opposition to what God has been doing and is doing. That's what he says all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? If you were here on Wednesday nights, you know that we've said the rest of the Bible is a footnote to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But all the way back there, God had said, and I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He's speaking to the serpent. And you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And by nature, everyone just, when they're born, wakes up and follows the seed of the serpent. And it takes the work of God. Paul's wanting it to sink into you that it takes God Himself coming to you to call you back out of that estate, to draw you out from that way that you were going. That is the depth to which He came. It wasn't just someone laying aside their pack. It was Christ Himself coming for us. That's why our salvation is in Christ. He came and brought us out. And Paul is setting before us our estate so that when he tells us of God's calling, we might be amazed at the grace of God poured out on sinners. So those who are dead in trespasses and sin, they walk according to the course of this world. They follow the prince of the power of the air. You you understand what that's saying that all who are in opposition to Christ are following Satan. It's stark. It's not a pretty picture that Paul paints of the world. He is disabusing us of the nice people having themselves a, a way to measure out and get to heaven on their own. No, your good works will not outweigh your evil deeds. As a matter of fact, you're following the the first and prime enemy of the Lord, Satan Himself, the prince of the power of the air. That's what being dead in trespasses and sins mean. And then it says this, among, excuse me, that we, that we lived uh, according to the passions of our flesh. We, we followed the passions of our flesh. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of, of the body and the mind. What was our state? It was opposition to God and all about self. 
And whether we realized it or not, in that walk, we were following Satan, we were following the world, and we were rejecting God Himself. That is the estate out of which God calls us from following the the world, the flesh, and the devil. And by that, by being spiritually dead, this isn't talking about physical deadness. This is talking about our hearts turned toward God. They're away from Him and to ourselves, and to the world, and to the devil. But, but because of that, we were by nature children of wrath. You're either a child of grace or a child of wrath. You're either a recipient of grace or you are a recipient of wrath. And that is... That is what Paul wants you to understand, that outside of the work of Christ for you, you would have not the weight of glory to look forward to, but the weight of wrath. It is such a weight that the Bible describes it as outer darkness. There's not even a modicum of light, not even a small speck that you will be able to see. It is the weight of God's wrath is to have Him pouring out His judgment upon you. And Paul wants you to have that in your mind when he gets to this next point. The calling of God. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He wants you to feel the weight of outer darkness. Children of wrath. That He might expose you to the greatest height of glory that our minds cannot even possibly fathom in order to open up before you the Lord Himself who is so glorious, so spectacularly wonderful that He does not leave us to perish, but that He draws us out of outer darkness and brings us into marvelous light, First Peter says. Into the heavenlies. And that's why the very beginning of verse 4 is important. But God, but, but God, he, he uses a conjunction there. And conjunctions are important for, for those of you old enough or young enough 
Depending on where you fall, you, you likely remember the song Conjunction Junction by Schoolhouse Rock. They teach you the importance of conjunctions, the importance of and being a, a linking one, something like this, I love you and I want to spend time with you. They link, they go together, or the word or, setting alternatives, right? You can have cake or pie, not and pie, or pie. Not both. You, you can have either one. And then, but. But's a little different than the others. It's a disjointive conjunction. It essentially means that everything that has gone before that conjunction, you can disregard after you get to the but. Let me illustrate that for you. In Bible college, we had a young man that was newly married. His name was Ben, and he had married Michelle. And one day, Ben was eating breakfast with us. He didn't normally do that. We said, Ben, why do you look so down? Why are you having breakfast with us? He said, well, boys, let me tell you something I learned yesterday. We said, well, what's that? He said, Michelle made me breakfast in bed, and she brought it to me because I'd had a rough week. And, and she asked me what I thought of it, and I said, Michelle, it is delicious. But it's not like my mama's. You understand the importance of the word but there. You also know why he was eating breakfast with us. That's a true story. That's not a preacher story. That, that poor man was sitting there with us because of that. But, and so here it is. Paul is saying to us, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You were by nature children of wrath. But God... And He means by that to break you from that flow of where He was going that you might be caught up into the grace of God. Into the grace of the One who sent His Son that you may no longer be a child of wrath, but a child of light. That you may no longer walk in darkness, but walk in light. But God being rich in mercy. As a matter of fact, He's richer in mercy than He is in wrath. Never once in the Scripture does He say, I have no desire to save these people. They are, they are they're just undone. It's really a nuisance for me. No, He delights in it. And again and again and again, He calls to us, Come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And again and again and again, all who come to Me, I will in no wise cast out. He takes delight in it. He moves to us in our sin. But He does say, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. And He wants to break you from, from the tr track you were running on that you might turn and see how rich, how merciful, how gracious, how glorious, how magnificent is His grace being rich in mercy with which He loved us. And notice it's never impersonal. It's always to us, not just a general out there. Grace isn't just something out there and we just come and take a little bit here and there. No, 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 no. The great love with which He loved us and He made us and He raised us with Christ. Why, Why am I stressing this? 
Because we ought never depersonalize what God does. He saves that He might have you. That He might know you. That He might commune with you. That you might be brought to Him and be made His child. It is not just things that we stack up to have theological knowledge. There are a lot of people who take chapter 1 and they turn it into nothing more than things to fight about. But it is given that you might be enraptured with the idea that the God of heaven did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, that we might know Him. God's calling. God's calling is summarized in those first two words, but God. You were walking away. You were in outer darkness. You hated Him. You stopped up your ears and closed your eyes to the glorious One who is above everything else. And you were saying, I will go my own way. And with your fingers in your ears, you'd say, what's that God? I didn't really hear you. And you know exactly what He's revealing and you turned, but God... But God, being rich in mercy, He he is bringing us in. He's bringing us in by His grace. We, We cannot depersonalize this. We cannot add some layer of separation so that so that His salvation and His sovereignty become functions and objects. No, no, no. They are that we might know Him. And He brings us out of the way in which we were going. That way of of isolation and loneliness. That's that's the way of the world. It's to pull out and to be a part of nothing except of yourself. And He brings us into community. He brings us into right community. Perfect community. The triune God is communal in His nature. And therefore... He brings us into perfect love and fellowship and community. And He's making that into us and us into that. Because it's easy to follow the world and desire solitude, but it's also ungodly. You you don't experience the grace of God in austere, solemn monasteries where you can just get away from people and if you're away from them, you can just be more godly. No, that's not how God works. He puts us in together that we might grow up together. I'm going to stumble against you. You're going to stumble against me. And in so doing, God is shaping us and fitting us and drawing us into that beautiful work that He's doing. And that brings us to our final point, our purpose. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see His calling upon you that it's, that it's great, it's, it's rich. He puts us in the heavenly places. He's poured out grace on us. And, and it's not by our doing, it's by His. And He's doing it that He might together bring us along for His glory by building us up and producing within 
Not me. Us. Good works. What are good works? That's, that's hard to define most of the time because we are generally looking for things to do. What can I do to have a good work toward God and for my fellow man? But the Bible doesn't give us such easy answers. But it's always to walk in love. What does that look like? Well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not covet. It's to walk in love. And God's doing all of this. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand. He's given them to us. We just walk in them together. I wonder if you see how amazing this grace is. What it is that God is doing in calling you out of this world. And I wonder if having seen it, has it become old hat for you? Let this word from Paul draw you back. Let it let you see your estate and let it let you see God's calling. And let it move you by His grace toward Him and toward each other. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give You thanks for Your great calling. We pray that Your grace will overwhelm us again. That we will be amazed at what it is that You have done for us in Christ. 